Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Good morning. Welcome, C3, both in the room and online. So great to have you. Nice to see you bright and early. And in the flesh, I keep going up to people saying, oh, nice to see your legs. And then I realize that's a bit of a weird comment. But for the first time in months, people aren't just in like a little box zoomed in on their face. So I really appreciate that. Who is excited for this morning? Yay! We're all being very COVID compliant, don't worry, we've got our masks on, which is really good news. Great, if you're watching from home, you can scream, shout, holler, amen to me if you kind of feel really Pentecostal. There we go, loving it. Um, It really is a privilege to be here today. So we've already had an announcement, I'm Elspeth. Um, I don't like being compared to the Queen. Um, (laughs) I suppose it depends which one. Um, But yeah, really exciting to be with you today and to talk on the resurrection Now, some of you clever clogs will think, "Ah, Elspeth, you're a week behind. Easter Sunday was last week. Why are we talking about the resurrection again today? Now, unlike my Easter eggs, the good thing about talking about the resurrection is we can come back to it again and again and again. Why? Because it is so central to what being Christian is. It is at the heart of the gospel, the good news. Now, if you're already scratching your head saying, oh, what does gospel mean? What does good news mean? We're going to unpack it together. Now, I don't want to assume anything. So we're going to start off by unpacking, doing a quick pracy. You'll realize that I move quite quickly, I talk quite fast, about what the resurrection is. So Christians believe that on Friday, Jesus died on a cross. He was then taken down from the cross, possibly by two men, wrapped in bandages or kind of a a big linen cloth, probably eight feet long, wrapped in that, taken to a tomb that was owned by somebody called Joseph of Arimathea. So we know who owned the tomb. Now the Jewish and the Roman authorities were pretty concerned that something might happen at the tomb. It might become a shrine. This guy, you know, there might be a riot that kicks off because he's a pretty public figure. And so what they do is they send two Roman guards to literally guard the entrance of the tomb. They roll a huge two-ton rock in front of it. Now, Saturday is what we call the Sabbath, so for the Jewish people, that's a rest day. Sunday morning comes, the daylight is breaking through, and a small group of ladies go to this garden tomb to anoint Jesus' body properly for burial, so to kind of put perfumes and things on it. As they're approaching, they see the tomb, they see the guards, and then suddenly there's a bit of a tremor, a bit of an earthquake that happens. And suddenly, on top of this huge rock is an angel, an angelic kind of heavenly figure that is there. Now, the two guards see this, and they kind of get trauma paralysis. They are absolutely spooked by this. And if you've ever typed it on YouTube, uh, scared goat, really random, but if you were to do that, scared goat, when they get scared, they kind of freeze and then fall over like they're dead. That is exactly how I imagine the Roman guards to be. They kind of freeze, fall over. The angel turns to the ladies and say, Look, don't freak out like they did. The person you are looking for, he is not dead, he is alive. The stone has rolled out the way. The ladies, they go into the tomb. There's no body. It's an empty tomb. There's just the linen on the side. They scratch their heads, they leave. They're walking back out the garden. And who do they bump into? Jesus. In physical form, Jesus has risen from the dead. He says, look, don't be freaked out, but go and tell other people that I have risen from the dead. So that is the resurrection. That is the heart of the gospel message. And right from the beginning, I want to ask all of you in this room online, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? Some of you might say, yeah, I've got no problem with that. 
Some of you might say, oh, I, yeah, I think I do. Don't know why I believe that. And for some of you, you might think this, or you might know somebody that says, I really doubt that somebody could raise from the dead. That just does not happen. There must be another explanation. So if that is you, I'm going to start the first five minutes of today just unpacking why we can trust that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Then we're going to look at the impact of this on us today. How does it impact us? So that we can leave this message with an unshakable confidence in the person of Jesus, who he says he is. Now, I talk quite fast, but I want you to fact check me. So if you've got you version, I've put all the scriptures that we're going to go through in there. I want you to engage with what I'm saying. I want you to go home and investigate what I'm bringing to you today. One of the best places to work this out is in a C3 group. So that's a midweek group. You can ask your questions in a really kind of gracious, explorative uh, kind of group of people to do that. So are we ready? Yes, brilliant. We are going to be looking at a huge chunk, chapter 15 from 1 Corinthians. I'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 3 to verse 6. Here we go. For I, Paul, this is talking, who wrote the letter, delivered to you, the Corinthian church, a group of Christians in a place called Corinth, as of first importance what I also received, which was the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, also called Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Number one. Jesus physically rose from the dead. Now, Paul says, the gospel message is this. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again. This is the good news message. Now, he says, we can trust that Jesus physically rose from the dead because of two things. First of all, there was an empty tomb. Number two, Jesus then appears to over 500 people in physical form after he was supposed to be dead and buried. So number one, we can trust that Jesus physically rose from the dead because there is strong historical evidence that the tomb of Jesus was actually empty. Now, if the tomb wasn't empty, there would be a body somewhere. And in the early years of Christianity, when people really hated Christians and they were being persecuted, the easiest thing to do for the Roman or the Jewish authorities would be to parade the body through the streets and say, this is your crucified king. Shut up, stop talking about him. They don't do that. If the ladies who went to the tomb on Easter Sunday were so hysterical that they went to the wrong grave, surely somebody would say, this is actually his grave. He's there, he's dead, he's buried, he hasn't risen from the dead. But they don't do that. The body of Jesus has never been found. In fact, because of this, from day dot, the authorities had to come up with an explanation as to where this body had gone. And so they said, oh, okay, the, the disciples, they nicked the body. Now, I encourage you to go in and look and investigate some of these uh, kind of claims or explanations that have been made. But what I will say here is this, that within a short space of Jesus having died, the disciples go into Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was publicly executed. And what do they say? They say, the person that you saw bleed to death, die of asphyxiation on the cross, he has risen. Now, you've either got to be pretty delusional, pretty kind of crazy, uh, or just for this to actually be true, to go to Jerusalem and proclaim that. They would have been better going somewhere like Egypt, somewhere further away, where people hadn't actually seen Jesus die, but they don't. 
More than that, this group of first Christians, most of them were martyrs. They were brutally murdered for their genuine conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, most people might die for what they think is true, or what they believe is true. But very few people will actually die for what they know is a lie. Number two then, Paul says, not only was there an empty tomb, but also over 500 people, after Jesus had died, actually saw him wandering around. Now this isn't just the gospel writers, this is a group of around 500 plus people. Now some people, when they read this part of the Bible, that says, oh well they saw them at the same time, 500 people at the same time saw Jesus. So maybe Jesus didn't have a physical resurrection, maybe it was a, a spiritual resurrection, they had some kind of hallucination or some kind of psychotic or visionary experience of Jesus spiritually being raised. Now this is really popular at the moment, you only have to go onto social media and see that this kind of view is put forward. There's somebody very influential, in fact who said this, the resurrection of Jesus ought not to be seen in physical terms, but as a new spiritual reality. Oh, isn't that nice? This idea then that the spiritual was more important than the physical, that Jesus' death was just symbolic or metaphorical, the fact that, you know, what's dead in our lives can all come alive again. What they do then is they emphasize your subjective experience of Jesus, in other words, who Jesus is to me, how he reveals himself to me, how I interpret what he says, over the objective, historical, physical reality of the person of Jesus, who taught things, who said things, who physically rose from the dead. And so the way then that we can interpret the way that Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time is basically that there were 500 people together in one place. A crowd of people are gathered and they see and they hear and they listen to the physical Jesus who has been physically raised from the dead. In fact, 1 Corinthians, the passage we just read from, Paul's written about 25 years after Jesus had died. He says, look, you can go and ask these 500 people, most of whom are still alive. Some of them have died, it's 25 years later, but most of them are still alive. Now, I've used this analogy before, but when I was at university... I uh, would be sat in my university exam and I'd have to make a claim, I'd have to say something and then I'd have to back it up with evidence. So when I was sat in the exam, quite often I'd think, oh, I know what I want to say, but I can't think of any evidence, so I'm going to make it up. Uh, W.H. Smith writes uh, such and such. Now I might get away with that. I might pull the wool over the examiner's eyes and ears when they read that because they might think, oh, I don't know a W.H. Smith. But if I was to, in my essay, put 500 different sources and names and say, oh, and go and check them out. I am proving myself. I am setting myself up to fail. That's exactly what Paul does here. So he says, we can trust that there's a physical resurrection, the most plausible explanation for an empty tomb, over 500 people actually seeing him. I ask them yourself, is that maybe Jesus actually did rise from the dead? And because we believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, it is proof that God exists, that miracles are possible, that material creation like our bodies is good, that Jesus' teaching was true, it validated everything that he'd been saying, and that there is an objective reality rather than just subjective experience or beliefs. Are you with me still? Yeah. So where is Jesus now? Is he sipping pina coladas in South America with Elvis somewhere? <laughs> Quite like that idea but I don't think he is. 
Did he rise from the dead like Lazarus, a man who Jesus actually rose from the dead a short time before his own death, only to then die again? No. Now we know this because when Jesus' body was raised from the dead, it was quite different. Something different had happened to it. First of all, he wasn't just spiritual. He wasn't a ghost. Second of all, he wasn't just physical. He wasn't just subject to the law of decay, getting old, getting sick, dying again. He was both fully physical, fully spiritual. And we know this because 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ate with his disciples. They touched him. He touched them. But at the same time, he was also able in John 20 to walk through a locked door. He wasn't bound by time and space. And because of this, we know then that Jesus didn't die, but actually those 40 days later, he takes a group of Christians or a group of followers up to the top of a mountain. And what happens? They physically, literally see him ascend or go up into heaven. The clouds cover him. Now let's just pause here because this is pretty wild claim. Not only has Jesus physically died, physically been raised, but now he's physically ascended to heaven. Now this has two huge implications for us. Number one, Jesus is our living hope. So where is Jesus now? Romans 8 says, Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is where? At the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So picture this, Jesus isn't just chilling, he's not sipping his pina colada. No, he is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And there's a wonderful image of Jesus sat on a throne with a footstool. Now this footstool are things like death, sickness, injustice. These things are subjected to him. He has all authority. He's on a throne. It's this wonderful image of power, authority. And more than that, Jesus is actually our defender. He's advocating for us to the Father. That means when I wake up, and I've only been awake for about an hour, and I've already done something 10 times, and I say, God, why do I keep doing this? Why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I not want to do what I keep doing, and I'm trapped in this? And Jesus says to his father, nudges him, and kind of says, she's with me. We're working through this together. That when Jesus listens to you pray, he is defending for you. He is interceding for you. How much will this impact our prayer life if we know that we're not just shooting wishful prayers, oh God, I hope this comes true, into the ether, but we are praying to our great defender who has total authority, total power, and is actually interceding for us. And because of this, we believe that miracles still happen today. I've seen this in my life. So I've seen this, a friend of mine had MS, was in a wheelchair for about 10 years, encountered Jesus and was able to walk again. I've seen somebody who was born deaf in one ear, an encounter with Jesus, and they were able to hear, I whispered in their ear and they could hear me. I've seen it, somebody who was registered nearly blind, they get prayed for, they open their Bible to to check out their healing, and what do they read? They read a scripture about God opening the eyes of their blind, they don't need their glasses anymore. I've seen people who have lost everything, and I'm not being kind of light-hearted when I say that. I mean, they fled their country, lost everything. And yet, with an encounter with Jesus, they had huge joy, huge contentment. Miracles happen. I had a friend who was formerly a heroin addict, an encounter with Jesus, and in that one moment of encounter with Jesus, he said it was like oxygen was pumped through his veins, and he never touched drugs again. I mean, a heroin addict. 
This is why we believe in miracles, because Jesus is literally physically in the presence of God up there. Number two, what impact does this have? Jesus is the first fruit. Verse 20 says this, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And what's a first fruit? It literally is, if you imagine a harvest, the first bit of fruit that kind of pops up. Now, this bit of fruit tells us what the rest of the harvest is going to look like, what it's going to taste like, smell like, touch like. And in the same way, then, Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead tells us what will happen after death. Jesus didn't just rise in our minds, didn't just rise up in our hearts or, you know, in a legacy in his teaching. He physically rose up and it tells us then that when we die, we will literally be in the presence of God again. We can have security, we can have hope because Jesus is our first route. He has set a template for us. This means then, as Paul says, that we do not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. So the physical resurrection of Jesus means we have hope, we have security. And this is why Paul in Corinthians says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because death and sickness and decay and pain and grief and hopelessness are under his legs as a footstool. Yeah. Now it doesn't end there. Jesus says that just as he ascended to heaven, that one day he will descend back to earth. Now, when this happens, he will totally get rid of death, pain, sickness, wipe every tear on earth. And those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord, that believe that he died for our sins and rose again, what will happen then is our bodies will be made like his as the first fruit. My body then, this perishable, will be clothed with imperishability. What is mortal will be clothed with immortality. My body will become like Jesus's. I'll be able to eat and drink. I won't just be floating on a cloud somewhere, which is quite random. I never wanted to play the harp. But this idea is I can eat, I can drink, I can touch, I can be touched, but death and decay won't touch me. So, because then we believe that Jesus had a physical death and a physical resurrection, our bodies matter here and now on earth. Now, some people think, oh, God just kind of wants my head and my spirit, like as though we're some kind of disembodied spirit and, you know, God wants to separate them. No, no, no. God wants all of us as a holistic being. He is going to come back to redeem and renew our entire being. Now, some people, then they might say, oh, well, you know, if my body's, you know, going to perish and I'm going to get a new one, what is the point in looking after it? Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow. We're going to die. Yay, YOLO. You only live once. Isn't that like the slogan, at least the past kind of 10 years? I need to live it up here on earth. But friends, if we believe that Jesus has died, if we believe that he rose again and is coming back for our bodies, then he cares what we do with it. This is really central to what being Christian is. Christianity is one of the only world religions that has a theology of the body. What this means is we worship a God who became flesh, who died in the flesh, rose in the flesh. What does he call us? He calls us his body. And how do we remember him? By taking communion, bread and wine, which symbolizes what? His body and his blood. God cares about our body. Therefore, he cares what you do with it. He cares how you talk about your body, how you touch it, how you touch other people's, whether that's sex or sexual stuff outside of faithful marriage, whether that's getting drunk, your views about food, if you're self-harming. 
And just as an aside, it is by his wounds, his bloodletting, that you have been healed. He has given you his flesh, his fresh, his clean blood to cleanse you of distress. Your body matters to him, therefore, honor God with your body. Paul says in Corinthians, he has bought your body at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a vessel that we can worship and glorify God in. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Our fleshly desires, they're not too strong. Sometimes it feels like we can be, I can't, I I do what I do and I don't want to do it as though it's too strong. And he says, no, they're too weak, these desires. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us in our bodies now. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So friends, this morning in this room online, how are you glorifying God in your body? Is there stuff that you want more than God? Food, sex. Maybe you hate your body. Maybe you hate the fact that it's sick and in need of healing. Maybe you hate it because you hate the shape of it. Oh, friends, I don't say this to judge or to shame. I say this to encourage you that God is so passionate about the whole of you. Your head, your heart, your flesh, he is coming back for you. He will make all things new, once and for all. And so friends, this is something then that we need to respond to in the moment. Because then, if we believe that there's a physical resurrection of Jesus, that he has ascended and will come back for us, Paul says this then, and I'm gonna say it to you, beloved ones, stand firm stable and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving Jesus because we are assured that our union with Jesus makes our labor here on earth productive with fruit that endures. Friends, it's not hashtag you only live once. It's hashtag life. Living is for eternity. Now, what I'd love to do is to invite all of you, if you're able, just to stand in this moment. If you're watching online, feel like you can stand as well. If you can't stand, just stand in your mind and your heart. In Romans 10, Paul says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, as in he has everything, death, injustice, pain, sickness, in subjection to him, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. Maybe you pray that prayer every day to deny yourself, to die to yourself so that you can live for Jesus. Maybe you once prayed that, you declared at one point that Jesus is Lord, but actually you haven't been living for him and glorifying him in your body. Today we can confess this again and live for him. And maybe you've never done that. And so what I would invite all of us to do, both online and here in the room, is to join with centuries of Christians in this confessional statement about Jesus dying for our sins, rising, so that we might live with him. And when we do that, we're gonna end with a continued song, just as our confession of faith. And then I'm gonna come back and we're gonna just respond again to this incredible gospel message. So if you want to, if this is for you, let's read this together. I believe that for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
Jesus suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will know no end. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.